0: small artistic community in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia uh, called Abingdon. And I literally cut my teeth listening to the great bluegrass musicians. My father would take me to bluegrass festivals around Virginia and North Carolina, Kentucky, listening to the great Bill Monroe and Ralph Stanley and Doc Watson. And then I graduated to my father's uh, LP collection, Cash and Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings and Chris Christopherson, Towns Van Zandt, all those guys. And that really helped shape my musical worldview because I was always and have been always drawn to people who write about their life experiences and do it eloquently, whether it's Michael Stipe of R.E.M. or Jeff Tweedy, Wilco or Tom York, Radiohead, um, even down to these guys, Cash and, and uh, certainly Merle Haggard. And uh, that really gave me some personal insight as to who... This man, Bad Blake, was and is, and, and how best to uh, help him take his personal journey. Right. <laughs> While well, watching the
1: movie, what I noticed was that the first two acts are very slow mm. and methodical yes. in the right way, and then the third act, it's like you kind of rush through the plot points of the alcohol recovery, and I had wondered, is it because there's a lot of stuff cut out, or did someone say, hey, there's no story here?
0: It really all harkens back to, uh, for me, 1970s filmmaking, where characterization and behavior are emphasized more than plot and I wanted to build up who this man was and you can't really spend 30 minutes at rehab because if you do then it will clearly slow to a snail's pace so what you have to do is you have to make it impressionistic so that we understand because we've lived with this man for now two acts we understand what he's going through and what he may foresee next and it's about his taking a step towards redemption for himself and not for uh, Gene, Maggie Gyllenhaal's character. Uh, I would have loved to have been able to tell this story in two and a half hours and follow Michael Cimino's, but um, studio politics don't allow you to do that anymore. So what you have to do is you have to pick and choose wisely how best to tell the story. And I think we did it in a way that would allow you to really understand who this man was as he was continuing towards this ultimately uh, redemptive ending, although it's bittersweet. And I wanted the pacing to feel um, lyrical and poetic and more languid, kind of like a great country song. Well, I
1: was going to ask, what would you prefer if you didn't even have to put in the stuff about the rehab and the, the more the plot mechanics were felt? uh yeah. more unrealistic than the rest of it.
0: Well it felt to me like we I think I had to address it. I had to address the fact that he is a man who ultimately realizes that he's flawed and has faults and that will ultimately need to find that redemption if he's gonna to continue to grow as not only as an artist, but as a person. And in order to get that across you have to at least see it. And I felt like make it impressionistic because it is a movie and it isn't real real life where I should be making a documentary. And you have to take liberties with those things. And um, it seems to, uh, at least for my money and Jeff Bridges, it seems to have worked out.
2: Well, you just mentioned uh, taking liberties, and this movie is based off of a novel. So, when it is, you, yes. So when you started out, um, did you want to say to a novel, or did you want well, to you, of... Well, you know, I've never
0: done it before, never adapted anything, mm-hmm. or directed a commercial or rock video. Play or film, nothing, short film. So what you try to do is, you try to stay true to the spirit of the novel. And then you need to, if, if you're a filmmaker of you know, any worth, I think you try to personalize what it is you're trying to say. So I took liberties by personalizing the story as I knew it. People who would suffered through alcoholism or some of the great radio heroes that I grew up on and how they uh, wrote about their life experiences. And then you use the novel as a blueprint and a stopping off point, and then you embellish from there, or or, uh, or continue to mine whatever territory the writer ultimately uh, ultimately wrote in the novel. But I think it's um, I think it's uh, very uh, a faithful adaptation. In fact, when the Thomas Cobb, the, the novelist, saw the movie, he said he cried. But I guess his expectations were so low because he directed anything. That it uh, certainly he didn't have high hopes.
2: So, why, had you, why did you decide to do that instead of, um, Brad Blake, the character had less similarities to other country stars like Hank Williams and, uh, Merle Haggard that said <coughs> Well,
0: in, in fact, so. I tried. I wanted, at first, to tell Merle Haggard's life story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, spent some time with Merle, you know, his shows and on his bus. And, and uh, he has a lot of ex-wives, so I wasn't able to ascertain his, uh, or his, his uh, life rights. So I thought, well, I can tell a little bit of Merle's life, a little bit of Waylon Jennings. Christofferson and uh Towns Van Zant or uh, some of the people that uh, helped uh, shape my musical worldview and and, uh, and make it fictionalized as mm-hmm. opposed to just a straight biopic.
2: Right. Thanks.
0: Yeah, um, among other things, uh, the movies getting a lot of attention obviously for Jack Bridges Oh sure, and right uh, the show.
2: and hopefully Oscar nominations. So yeah. my question is um, when you were going to make the movie? I mean, people have said it's tailor-made for him. Did you always have him in mind for the part? Or is it something, is, and if not, who did you have in mind? No,
0: I, I wrote it for Jeff, yeah. I always uh, felt like, in fact, when I first wrote the screenplay, I sent it to Robert Duvall, who's a mentor of mine. I said, that, and he at once he said, Scott, I love this script, let's make it. He said, what do you need? I said, there are two things I need, and if I don't get them, I shouldn't make this movie. One is T-Bone Burnett, who was peerless, music and the next is Jeff Bridges and if I didn't get Jeff then I wasn't gonna make the film because it seemed like he was the only person who could play this role because he's a musician and he's and he, uh, a very good guitarist and he also happens to again uh, embody the physicality of the, of the people that I had in mind Waylon and Chris Christopherson yeah but he's he certainly uh, he certainly deserves all the praise he's getting because he's just such a remarkable actor and and he thinks it's, you know, the, it's his favorite film of his filmography, and, and it's, it's his best work, so I'm happy that people are recognizing
2: him. And as far as him um, getting into that character and finding, you know, finding that performance, um, is there anything that you, input you gave him, or is it something, like what tactics did he use? Oh, yeah,
0: no, we worked very closely for about a year working on the music together, and we helped shape the character together. Um, I inundated him with music that influenced me while I was writing it, And I'd give him lots of concert footage of Waylon performing and and some of the highwaymen and and Cash so that he could really embody that kind of outlaw sensibility that these guys uh, carried from town to town, from show to show. So we both had a very, very uh, collaborative relationship as we created this character.
1: Since this is your first film, I was wondering what you found the most challenging thing about directing and also what came easier than you
0: Well, performances came easiest as an actor. I was able to best calibrate all the performances from Jeff down to uh, the actor's the smallest role. I used a lot of non-actors because Duvall says they don't have bad habits, so I could direct them easily. Um, So that really was, was the performances were the easiest thing for me. The most difficult thing, the challenges were logistically. You know, I had only 24 days to shoot it three states. 10 musical numbers, one of them live in front of 12,000 people that didn't know I was going to be shooting. So that, uh, th- those were challenges I'd never encountered because I'd never directed anything. But in terms of telling the story, working with the actors, production design, photography, um, I really steeped myself in the great directors of the 70s and would watch their films with the sound off and see how they would tell the story with the composition and the frame. And, and so none of those things were real challenges. It was mostly just uh, how do you make this film? In three states, with very little money and time.
1: Was um, I know uh, obviously Robert Duvall was directed uh, before. Oh, yeah. um,
0: did he help you after the film was shot? I know you said he was a mentor to you. No, just uh, support if I needed it with the studio. Um, he really loves the film, and uh, he, I'm sure he helped me in in terms of just discussions, but didn't really come in the cutting room. Um, I would have Jeff come in just because I. I really feel like it should be a collaborative effort and he cares about the film so much that I wanted Jeff just to see how I was progressing as I was cutting and uh, Maggie would stop by, uh, T-Bone. I mean they, they really just, all of them from, from my first cut on were, were really, really supportive and love the film and uh, Bobby, Mr. Duvall, he and I talk every day, a couple times a day, we talk about movies, we talk about actors, we talk about technique, uh, we talk about um, director styles, that sort of thing. But if you're directing actors of this caliber, what you, as an actor, I can tell you what you don't want to do is you don't want to overly direct people. Um, you want to give them room to feel very comfortable and to, to feel safe and to take risks and fail if they ha- if they need to in between action and cut. And if you do that, you'll get the best results because if you direct with a heavy hand, uh, much like riding a horse or or doing anything else, people don't get relaxed and and you can feel it and and you tense up and and, uh, you don't do good work.
1: Speaking of Robert Duvall, how did you first approach him?
0: Well, I didn't. Um, I was doing a scene and and I had a smaller role in the film and and he felt like after seeing my work that I should have been one of the leads and really liked my approach to uh, the craft and... uh, He likes actors and and directors who don't push the emotion. Were you caught off guard by that? Well, no. I mean, he, he, you know, I ended up having dinner with him uh, soon thereafter. We ended up becoming, you know, very close. We shared disabilities again in in, in actors and in films. And and I ended up getting married at uh, his farm in Virginia. And and we have now, I guess, a 10-year relationship that, you know, I'm blessed to have had and count him as one of my closest friends.
1: The movie's been... To the wrestler, which I think is sort of unfair, because obviously the book was was written,
0: um, and I didn't even know that movie existed until I finished. This. Well, no, that's yeah I, yeah, I think it was unfair, but yeah. um, but anytime know. anyone compares me to Aronofsky or, or a film, I take that the <laughs> highest <laughs> compliment. You know. um,
1: but in terms of the style, um, uh, in terms of the sort of languorous musician biopic, mm. fake biopic, yeah, um, who are you going after? Because while I was watching, and I kept thinking of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Because the story arcs are similar. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that's even... No, it wasn't. I
0: haven't even seen that film, although I've heard great things about it. Uh, more for me, really, in terms of style, I love Terrence Malick's stuff, Days of Heaven. If you've seen that, it's very lyrical, poetic quality. I like Elements of Badlands a lot. Bogdanovich's work, Picture Show, was great. Um, Hal Ashby, if you know who Hal Ashby was. Um, really loved his work. Bob Rafelson. So, so, uh, and, and even it, uh, more... more um, uh, more recent filmmakers but who are also were actors like uh, Sean Penn's work if you've seen The Indian Runner which I love or uh, his work as a, as a director Billy Bob Thornton Sling Blade um, uh, people who understand characterization and behavior and how that should be emphasized and not uh, plot points or, because I don't read the screenwriting manuals uh, those are for uh, I don't know who reads those somebody must <laughs> uh, either you tell the truth uh, as a writer, director, musician, or you know, uh,
1: you said you wanted Jeff Bridges the whole time. Yeah. Was something like Keith Carradine just
0: too on the nose? Uh, probably, but he never even, although he's good, He, he I really only had Jeff and if I, in mind, and if I didn't have Jeff, then I um, I wouldn't have made it. shouldn't have been made. Sometimes those roles are either, uh, I mean, I'm sure there are other ones come to mind. I mean, probably Mickey Rourke. I don't know who else could have played that uh, as well as he did in The Wrestler, or Duvall and The Apostle wrote it for himself, or for Billy Bob and Blade. There are no actors on the earth who could have played those parts, nor should have played those. And I think the same thing about Jeff in, uh, in this.
2: Well, when I was watching the movie, I really enjoyed the music and thought okay. how essential it was to the story. It's critical. So, how many, ver- I was curious, how many versions of the songs or different songs that you go through until you pick the ones that you used?
0: Lots. Um, T-Bone, Jeff myself, uh, this young guy, Ryan Bingham, who wrote The Weary Kind, who's also in the movie, Uh, the late Stephen Bruton, uh, he and T-Bone and Jeff all met on Heaven's Gate and uh, were very good friends then. He died as we were making it, but he really helped shape the music along with T-Bone. We would all pull up guitars and we would write melodies, we would write uh, lyrics and and some were very good, some were not so good. And then you really kind of call those that, that work. And what you try to do is you try to find a singular voice for this particular writer. And I told these guys, this, that if we do it right, Bad Blake would have been the fifth highwayman, if you knew who those were. You might sure. be too young. But Christofferson and Jennings and Cash and Willie Nelson. And Bad Blake would have been the fifth in that group. I didn't want it to, to feel just like it was an homage to traditional country music. But I also wanted to have it a little bit rooted in the blues. There's a line where Maggie Gyllenhaal's character interviews Bad Blake, and she says, so your music's influenced by the blues? And he's like, oh, yeah. We all owe our existence to them Delta boys, meaning the Delta blues players, Robert Johnson Sunhouse, or somehow. House, or even uh, the only time he's listening to music in the movie himself. Um, he isn't listening to Hank Williams or Lefty Frizzell, but he's outside in his suburban, waiting for Maggie's character to show up, and he's listening to Lightning Hopkins, once again, which is no blues to him. So you can see how that influenced his work. So we tried to create, uh, T-Bone did this alternate universe of mm-hmm. part country music, part uh, delta blues, and part Texas romance.
2: So was there, how um, did you incorporate them into the script? Like the process of that, do you have to change anything? Well, yeah,
0: and it, because I wanted him to be writing a song that, uh, that he, ha- he hasn't written a song in years. And Good. the song that he ends up writing is about uh, reconnecting unsuccessfully with his son. It's about finding a young woman that uh, that uh, reawakens him artistically, as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, about a man who's flawed, and we know that, and about his life spent on the road, and a very lonely life. And out of that song comes The Weary Kind, which is the narrative thread. So once we had that song, I then had to tailor the script around that particular song. Okay, Thank you. you
2: Just um, really quick to add to that, did you, so The Weary Kind, you were part of the writing process on that song?
0: No, um, Ryan Bingham, the young guy who's who also plays Tony, the lead singer at the first bowling alley, who comes and knocks on the door. Uh, he's a non-actor. Uh, he was living in his truck a couple of years ago, and Colin Farrell found him playing a little juke joint in uh, Los Angeles. And they introduced me to his music, which I loved. And I met with Ryan, and I said, have you ever been in a movie? And he said, no. I said, good, I want you to be in this one. And I want your band to be the backup, which is the other guys in the bowling alley. And I said, take the script, and have you ever read a script? He said, no. I said, take the script, and if if something strikes you, then please um, write something. He takes the script home. The next day he calls me and says, hey, I've written a song. This is less than 24 hours later. And I said, yeah, meet me at T-Bone's. Great. So he comes over and sits on T-Bone's coffee table with his well-worn Martin guitar and starts playing this song, and I'm sitting behind him watching T-Bone's reaction, and T-Bone's jaw starts to just drop. And then you know when a legend like T-Bone is moved like that. And we both said, that's it. That's the song. That's the narrative thread of the piece, the fabric of this man's life. And Ryan did it uh, overnight, which is, then I wrote that song, I wrote the line when he's, when Bad Blake's back from the hospital and he's just started to compose the song for the first time. And he says, you know that song? And she says, no, it sounds familiar. And he's like, "All oh, the good ones do. And they sound like you've heard them before. And it comes that quickly, which it does for songwriters. And it did for Ryan Bingham, and It did for us. Yeah. How did Colin come aboard? Well, Colin came aboard because I wanted someone to be very unsur- very surprising in that role. You would not think of Colin Farrell playing that. Uh, country music also comes from the Scotch-Irish heritage, of course he's Irish. And he'd been doing some work of late that I really liked, which is, uh, um, in Bruges he did good work, and Cassandra's Dream, and he's getting away from some of the much bigger fair, less personal stuff. and. Colin uh, has the dark charisma that I thought the role required and so you can see him as a, as a protege of Bad Blake but also he looks like a star and he has that star quality, that charisma that you would buy him as a big country star and I had a sneaking suspicion that Colin probably spent some time in a pub you know <laughs> he was very, <laughs> very communal and could probably sing and, uh, and sure enough you, know, when you have T-Bone at the helm music then I felt like you'd Colin uh, be able to pull a great performance out of Colin and he's getting some of the best reviews of, of anybody in the film so I wanted to be surprising
1: you seem very self confident uh, as a first time director did you have any trepidations going into this
0: no just just logistically trying to bring it in on time I knew the okay. story so well and had seat myself in uh, lenses and, and, and composition and, and of course as an actor if you can't um, you can't direct actors uh, when it's really just all about characterization and again not about plot, um, then uh, you know I shouldn't be doing it. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, I felt yeah. felt pretty confident. And then when you have guys like Jeff Bridges and Robert Duvall and Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Colin Farrell, you know, my six-year-old who directed those guys. Okay.
1: Uh, the, in terms of that, the temptation as a first-time director to go all Donnie Darko and throw in every song you could ever think of and throw in assumes. you got to do
0: just the opposite.
1: I mean, I was going to ask, like, how did you avoid, you know?
0: Well, because, uh, my, uh, personal style of acting is all about restraint and subtlety, and that's what I respond to, again, in, 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 in uh, novels and in all forms of music and, uh, and certainly in actors, other actors and performances. So uh, what I wanted to do was, again, have this, this, uh, have this picture feel as though my fingerprints, uh, Weren't on it that it was almost invisibly directed and edited and and really put together, and and you can do that very subtly with your own personal style, like I felt like I I had done. But what what I didn't want to do was be showy in any way, and I wanted it to be very honest and very pure. And as Duval said, just tell the truth. And I would do that by picking songs that I felt helped tell the story, but gave it a sense of verisimilitude that it needed, and um, and not again about being hip or clever because I re- the, the, the movies that do that really, really bother me. And I'm not saying Donnie Darko, but I'm saying directors who want to show how cool they are, how cutting-edge and how hip, because uh, that tells me that they aren't. We have time for one more. Can you tell us what
2: your next project is going to be?
0: Well, as as I was editing this, I was um, acting in a film with uh, Bill Murray and Sissy Spacek and Robert Duvall, so I was wearing you know, three hats again, called Get Low, that's opening up at Sundance. And, uh, you know, I'm in the process now of, of selecting uh, what I'll do next, but it, again, will be a, a personal story, and there are a lot of writers, I think, that, whose work hasn't been translated to the screen that I like. Uh, William Faulkner taught my father English, or uh, Flannery O'Connor, William Styron. Some musical uh, uh, influences of mine, the story should be told, whether it's Marley or Chet Baker or Miles Davis. culture Picked up later after you shot it, or was it financed in advance? uh, It was financed in advance, but then Paramount Vantage was going to release it, but they uh, were... um,
1: They shut down. Yeah, they
0: got shuttered, and we didn't know if Big Paramount, because they put out big movies, if this was the right home for it, and they so graciously let uh, my agents take it out. We had a lot of suitors within Fox Searchlight. Did uh, they buy it from Paramount? Fox Searchlight did, yes. Yeah.
1: Because, I mean, I'm assuming you were scared of get the treatment that all the last Paramount Vantage movies got. Sometimes you're concerned, but
0: when you see what Jeff's doing and, and, and T-Bone, you, you have a feeling that those guys are... Uh, somebody's going to want to see that get out. And Jeff creates a kind of character he did. So. Thank God Searchlight bought it.